So let's turn in God's word now. Two readings this morning. The first of them from the second letter of Paul to Timothy and chapter 3, reading from verse 10 to verse 17. They're there on the screen for you. And the page reference is 1199. We're going to read verse 10 to 17 of this letter of Paul that he wrote from prison in Rome to his dear young friend Timothy as Paul was in the final months of his life. There's a tenderness in these words. There's something here also for us, of course, as God's people. Verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings or sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then can we turn to the beginning of our Bibles, or much nearer the beginning, and we turn to the Old Testament book of Judges, to the second chapter, and verses 6 to 15. Page uh, 241. Second chapter of the book of Judges. We're now going back into the earlier history of the people of Israel. In the generation after they've arrived in the land of Canaan. Verse 6 of chapter 2. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered 
to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Please look back with me a few verses earlier to verse 10, which is our text for this morning as we begin. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Which generation do you belong to? There's a great deal said and written today about various generations, although the definitions can seem quite confusing, can't they? There is the so-called baby boomers generation, of those who were born shortly after World War II, and there's a few of that generation who are here today. Then there's Generation X, which apparently I belong to. And then there's Generation Y, which is roughly the same, I think, as the millennial generation. And then there's Generation Z, the youngest people who are here. And then after that, I'm not quite sure. Is it like cars, and you go back to A with the beginning of the registration number plates? I really don't quite know. Generation unknown, I think, is how it's being termed at the moment. Categorizing people into generations can sometimes be helpful because certain attitudes tend to be very common among people of a particular generation. But this morning, as we continue in our theme of foundations, of looking at godly biblical foundations. I want to think about the subject of generations. That's going to guide us through this morning's sermon. And here in chapter 2 of the book of Judges and in verse 10, we read about, and this is my first point, my first heading this morning, we read about the generation that did not know the Lord. That's how they're labeled. Not the baby boomers, not Generation X, not Y, not Millennials, not Z, not Alpha, Beta, Gamma. They are the generation that did not know the Lord. Who were they? 
Well, they were the generation of the people of Israel that followed the death of Joshua. And who was Joshua? Well, Joshua was the leader of the people of Israel who followed Moses and who led the people from the wilderness over the River Jordan to take possession of the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land that God was giving his people. And in verses 8 and 9, as we look at Judges chapter 2, we can see that the death of Joshua, which is recorded here in some detail and his burial, symbolizes the passing of a whole generation, an earlier generation. And they're mentioned back in verse 7. Joshua and the people and the elders who outlived Joshua, who are they? They had seen all the work, all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And the passing of that older generation, if you can sense the the current and the movement in this text, is something of momentous and catastrophic significance. These older people, this passing generation, their lives, their minds, their attitudes, their everything had been shaped by and taught by all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. But now there is a new generation. And the defining feature of that generation is that they did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This new generation had never known what it was like to live in Egypt under the cruel hand of Pharaoh and his slave drivers, to live in slavery and bondage. This new generation had not seen the wonders and miracles that God had worked in delivering his people from Egypt, in sparing the firstborn sons, in parting the Red Sea so that they could walk over in safety. This generation had not been fed with manna from heaven and water from the rock. This new generation had never stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and trembled in fear as the mountain shook and the air was filled with smoke and thunder and lightning and fire and as the voice of God thundered out the Ten Commandments. This new generation had never known what it was to be dependent on following the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night as they went through the wilderness. This new generation had never seen the Lord's hand triumphing in battle over Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. This new generation never went down to the River Jordan to view the memorial stones that stood there for the twelve tribes of Israel. They did not recall a day when the walls of Jericho fell by the command of the living God. This new generation knew none of these things. That's what characterized them. Now, we are not told here in the text that the older generation 
had neglected to teach the younger generation about these things. We, are, we have no reason to suspect that they didn't teach them. But we do know this. The knowledge of the Lord and what he had done for Israel began to slip out of the minds of this new generation. And as always, when these sorts of things happen, it happened so gradually, so imperceptibly, so slowly, and yet so inexorably. You think of some great glacier on a mountainside in Svalbard or Greenland or Antarctica, and it's sliding down the mountainside towards the icy ocean, but it's moving so slowly, but you can't stop it moving. It's there, but it's sliding down always. Taking years, taking decades to make its journey. This new generation were in the land of Canaan. And little by little, and year by year, the new generation began to look very different to the old generation. They began to adopt the surrounding culture of those who lived among them, the Canaanites. And we can see this described, can't we, in verses 11 to 13. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And on it goes, end of verse 13. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And if you know your Bibles at all, even if you don't know your Bibles, let me say this. The book which follows, this book of Judges, the seventh book of our Bibles, is probably the saddest, the sorriest, the most tragic book of all 66 that we find in the Word of God. There is this cycle of sin and unfaithfulness and judgment and then deliverance that takes place in Israel. They sin, they go down, along comes a rescuer, a judge from God. He saves them, they turn back from the Lord, but they go down again and they go down further next time. It's like an ever-decreasing, spiraling stairway going down and down, sometimes up, but always then down, and down further than before. One step forward, four or five steps back, and down and down into the dungeons of unbelief and darkness. And by the end of the book of Judges, you read about events and incidents among the people of God that are frightening and appalling and loathsome. And you read at the very end of that book of Judges that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we see the same trend continuing in the early chapters of the first book of Samuel. We see the sons of Eli Read 1 Samuel chapter 2 and see the terrible, wicked things that the sons of Eli did. Until a day came when the Lord intervened and the Lord raised up Samuel. And later on, of course, the Lord raised up David. But we are centuries from there in this passage. We are back at the beginning of the decline. And it begins with a new generation that does not know the Lord nor the work that he has done for Israel. I asked last week, and I ask it again this week, does history repeat itself? 
You must answer that question this morning as I come to my second point. The generation that does not know the Lord. I've changed the past tense to a present tense. No longer did, but does. The generation that does not know the Lord. Let me repeat what I said last week, and I'll hold myself to this, and so must you if you possibly can. We must avoid the dangers, the threefold danger, of being merely nostalgic, of simply moaning about how bad things are, and of being merely negative with nothing positive to say. And all these things have to be borne in mind. But there's an equally great danger, it seems to me, in the opposite direction at this present time, and it's this. We live in a culture, in a world, in a society, where you have to affirm and embrace and welcome and applaud pretty much anything and everything that people in this world want to do. And if they're being themselves, and they're being authentic, and they're enjoying life, and they feel free, well, good on you, people say. And we have to realize that that point of view is an extremely dangerous one. And there are hard things that pastors and preachers need to say from time to time. The Lord deliver me from being mealy-mouthed and compromising. The Lord deliver me also from being harsh in what I'm about to say. But when I talk about this generation, let me make this absolutely clear. When I talk about today's generation, I do not mean Generation Z, Generation Y, Generation X, Baby Boomers. I'm looking at the big picture. I'm talking about everyone, older and younger, people from infants to the elderly. We are all implicated in this, all of us. The older bear a responsibility for the younger, don't they? But my mind was drawn this week, reflecting on this matter, to the words of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 1, and he says this, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. I want to ask a question this morning. What is the state of the knowledge of God in our land? And other lands, other similar lands, the lands of Western Europe, the lands of North America, the lands of Australasia, lands that are similar culturally to our own land. What is the state of the knowledge of God? The prophet Amos talks about the Lord calling a famine on the land. Famous words, Amos 8 verse 11, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Supposing somebody from another time, from an earlier century, from our country, were to step into a time machine and journey forwards centuries to 2019, step into the middle of London 
anywhere in the UK or Europe or other parts of the world. I mean the Western world. I mean the one-time Christian world. And to say, is there knowledge of the Lord in this place? How much is there? What might he or she actually say? Now, let's be absolutely fair about this. Let's not be too down on this generation. Let's be honest. There is so much that this generation now knows, isn't there? I mean that there is so much knowledge available at our fingertips. There has, in the last 25 years, been an information revolution with the arrival of the internet and social media and mobile phones and smartphones and mass communication, digital technology, 24-7. That is a revolution just as deep and important and lasting as the Industrial Revolution 200 years ago. We are living during a technological and information revolution. Let's all remember that. Supposing I or Mark Johnston before me had stood here 20 years ago and uttered this sentence, would it have been understood by anybody in this congregation? Listen. You can search it on Google, read about it on Wikipedia, watch it on YouTube, learn how to make it on Pinterest, order it from Amazon, sell it on eBay, share it on Facebook, and tweet it on Twitter. Many, if not most of you, know what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you don't, and I apologize if you don't. But 20 years ago, that sentence would have been utterly meaningless gobbledygook, wouldn't it? We are living in a technological and information revolution. And let me go on being fair. When we think about the Internet, that great central hub, as it were, of this revolution, the Internet, the World Wide Web, there is a lot of excellent material that we can find there. There is a lot of excellent Christian material that we can find there as well. The Internet is a wonderful resource. You can find Bibles in every language. You can find books, articles, sermons by excellent men like John Piper, the, the, the present contemporary John Piper, I mean, in their thousands, even in their millions. I don't want to paint a bleak picture this morning. These things are true. The internet and other resources are wonderful provisions. We should give thanks to God for this information revolution. But this is where we need to put our thinking caps on for a few moments and think carefully. The trouble is, and this is for our generation to think about, the trouble is that technology alone cannot save us Technology alone cannot teach us, cannot help us, cannot guide us. You imagine a school library in a primary school, and you say to a class of eight-year-olds, 
I want you to go away and research Jesus and Christianity and put all your results onto some great display, some collage, some poster we're going to display on the school wall. Go and research Jesus. Go and research Christianity. And the children of whatever age go away And they just do that under their own steam, following their own minds. They Google Jesus. They Google Christianity. They print off whatever they find, and they put it into some nice, attractive collage on the wall. What would the results be like? Well, I don't know. But I suggest that they would be a number of things. They would be overwhelming. They would be bewildering. They would be contradictory. They would be confusing. They wouldn't give any clear sense of direction. They would not result in the clear knowledge of God. And I suggest that this is where this generation is right today. I mean right as in right now. I don't mean that they're right. I say they're wrong. We are in a bewildering confusing, tail-chasing, spinning situation where messages, texts, emails, media, programs, broadcasts, podcasts, whatever you want to talk about, they are flying around and we are left in a daze. We need more than technology, don't we? We need more than information. We need more than resources. This generation, like every generation before and after, needs the knowledge of God. I mean the true, helpful, saving knowledge of God. This generation is facing a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. I will just make this point. Times are changing, aren't they? Most people here who are over the age of 40 or so would have at school regularly heard in their assemblies the Lord's Prayer. The singing of hymns would take place. The reading of the Bible. Readings from the Gospels, parables of the Lord Jesus. Not everywhere, but in most places, these blessings are no longer Found. How much more then we need the knowledge of the Lord. There is a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And I want to come now to my final point. And I want us to see why for you and for me to be here today right now doing what we're doing now is the best thing and the best place of all. My final point the generation that does know the Lord. The generation that does know the Lord. Our theme in this series is foundations. And the foundation that we must come back to, and we've sung this twice already this morning in our last two hymns, our foundation must be the Word of God. The Bible is our only sure and certain authority. It is the only ultimate truth. The Bible speaks about every matter of life and eternity and reality. 
If there is any discussion or dispute about any subject, it is the word of God, faithfully and rightly interpreted, that must have the final say on anything, on any subject, on marriage, on climate change, on government. We must go to the Bible to find wisdom in all these areas. The Bible has authority. The Bible is foundational. But we need to have the Bible taught and explained to us. That's my point. It's not enough simply to give people Bibles and say, go away, go home, and read your Bible. It's not enough simply to let people loose on the internet and Google their Christianity for themselves. Now, I know it's quite possible for someone to pick up a Bible and read the Bible and to be born again and come to faith. These things do happen. These things have happened. But what is better by far is to have the Word of God explained to us. The Word of God taught to us, preached to us, by reliable, trustworthy, qualified people. Christian parents and grandparents, Sunday school teachers, and ministers of the Word of God. People God has appointed to bring his truth to us. And that's why we read earlier on from the second letter of Paul to Timothy, and I invite you to turn back to that letter, to 2 Timothy and to chapter 3. And there in verses 14 and 15, Paul writes to Timothy these essential words, these very relevant words. Verse 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now notice here what Paul says. He does not simply say that Timothy has learned the scriptures. He does say that. Timothy knows the Scriptures. Timothy knows the Bible. All this is true. But Paul then adds, knowing from whom you learned it. From whom had Timothy learned the Scriptures? Well, you could flick back to the beginning of the letter if you wanted to, and you could see that in the early verses of chapter 1, you would read there about the sincere faith that dwelt in Timothy's grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. They had taught Timothy the scriptures in his infancy. He learned the scriptures from his mother and his grandmother. And then later in life, he met the apostle Paul, and Paul became Timothy's teacher. But this is my point. This is foundational. The Bible needs to be taught. The Word of God needs to be explained. 
the truth about God and about you and me and about Jesus Christ needs to be communicated by those whom God sends and appoints and equips to do so. We need human, personal, intelligent, loving, pastoral guides and teachers. You imagine this classroom of 38-year-olds all researching Jesus on Google in the IT suite in this primary school. What's going to happen before long? Hands are going to go up. Miss, sir, whatever they call, Mr. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so, what do I need to do? What does this word mean? What do I do now? How How do I understand this? And the teacher can't just say, not up to me. You do your own research. It's all within your own mind, your own ingenuity. You discover Christianity for yourself. You learn about Jesus. Supposing I said to you now, I'm not going to preach anymore. No more preaching in Grove Chapel. No, no. You just go and do your own research. Everyone do your own research. Stay away. That's better. That's more efficient. Scratch where you're reaching. Grow in your own time, in your own way, at your own pace. Would that work? Would that be right? No, it would not. It would lead to Judges chapter 21, verse 25, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes eventually. We need to be taught the word of God. Do you remember Philip, the evangelist, found in the desert? He finds the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8, and he's there in his chariot, The Ethiopian man is sitting there and he's reading from the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And Philip goes and talks to this man and says, Do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian replied, How can I? Unless someone guides me. Please, Philip, guide me. Please, Philip, show me. Please, Philip, teach me. This makes no sense. Who is this man in Isaiah 53? Is he writing about himself or someone else? I can't work it out. Philip must go and explain to this man that this passage is describing Jesus. And then this Ethiopian understands and his eyes are opened and he comes to faith and he is baptized right there and then in that desert place. That's what must happen We need to be taught the word of God. This generation, the boomers, the X's, the Y's, the Z's, and everyone else, we need to be taught the word of God. And if we are not, the knowledge of the Lord will die out from this generation. Because many people will say, won't they, I know all about God. I know about Christianity. I I read about it. I research it. I read Wikipedia. I subscribe to this uh, various online magazine. I'm doing my own research. I think you're all wrong. I think he's wrong as well. I'm going my own way. That's not the way it's meant to be. It's the church of God coming together as one body to hear the words of one teacher. And that teacher is not me or any other pastor. That teacher is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What generation are you. There's only two generations in the Bible that matter. Forget X, Y, Z, everything else. 
You are either of a generation that does not know the Lord and does not care to know the Lord, or you are of the generation described in Psalm 24 and verse 4, which says that the generation of those who seek him are blessed. And let me say this as I draw towards a conclusion. This generation who know their God can tell of greater things than the generation of Joshua. We can tell of more than the parting of the Red Sea and the death of the firstborn son and of Mount Sinai and of the manna in the desert and all of these things. We can tell of the conception and the birth and the life and the miracles and the teaching and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the sending of the Spirit, of the giving of the Scriptures, of the faith being preached among the nations, of being born again, of the church growing, of belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ, of being found by the Savior who came to seek and save the lost and calls lost sinners like us to himself. We can tell of these greater things. Are you part of that generation? Belong to it. Whether you're old or young, you may never have had a grandmother or mother like Timothy had to teach you the word of God. But you're here today. You're under the sound of the word of God being proclaimed. Come back and hear it and learn it and read it and talk about it again and again and again. Come for midweek meetings here. Go to the house group on Wednesday. Go to house group on Wednesday. Hear the word of God being explained. Come to International Cafe on a Thursday at half past seven, eight o'clock. There or thereabouts. Come to Zonin if you're of that age, between year six and year nine or year ten. Come on a Friday night and come here on a Sunday morning at eleven o'clock and come here again on a Sunday morning at half past six because this is where the word of God is preached. This is where the generation of those who know their God come and meet with God and hear the word of God. Take your place in that generation. It's the generation of those that the Lord loves and saves forever. Why would you want to belong to any other generation? You will go the way of the book of Judges if you are in that other generation. Well... May the Lord himself take his word and may he work and apply that word into all our hearts this morning together. We will return not next uh, Sunday morning but the Sunday after that, God willing, to beginning to look at the very beginning of the word of God. We come to Genesis and to the first verse and we think about how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's for another day. Come tonight as we continue to look at the subject of Christian maturity and what it means for us to no longer be children, but to grow up into Christ. Let us all pray together. O oh Lord, may your word be fulfilled which says that this generation should not be like their fathers, a crooked and perverse generation who delight in turning away from the Lord. But may we, 
especially we who may be parents or pastors or Sunday school teachers or youth leaders or those who host various meetings where your word is opened, may we not hide from this generation the great deeds of the Lord and the wonders that he has done so that the new generation that would grow up and the generation that is yet unborn might know that you are a God who is mighty and saving and loving and good and wise. Oh, Lord our God, thank you for your word. And may we all have an appetite to learn it, to be students of it, students with our minds, students with our hearts, students indeed with our whole lives. We pray this now. We pray for your encouragement as we together walk this pilgrim way and make known the Lord Jesus and his salvation to all around us. We ask in his name. Amen.